how I define doing well for a consumer brand is making a long-standing brand that's actually really changing the market and changing the way, way consumers are consuming it and, and relating to it. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, I'm joined with Megan Asha, who is the founder of FounderMade, uh, which is an amazing conference that's going to be taking place here in mid-October that really exposes some of the most interesting new consumer brands to the marketplace. So, Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, I want to dive right in and talk a little bit about FounderMade. So can you tell us a little bit more about the show and uh, where it came from? So it actually started, it wasn't supposed to be a business. It started as a dinner series over three years ago. I was working in venture capital. I was a little bit disenchanted with uh, the fact that we were promising, we were saying we were doing a bunch of business development for the, for our portfolio brands, but there wasn't any deliverable date. There wasn't, there were just things that I wanted us to be able to do in, in a more, conc- uh, more, more cohesive way for our portfolio companies. And so I started this dinner series and called them founder made and basically decided to do the stuff that we were going to do for business development for the fund, do it through these dinners. And so we bring investors to the tables, brands, founders, big and small. And it almost became this like very special ecosystem of, you know, the best, you know, founders in different verticals, helping, uh, you know, meeting retailers, distributors, investors. And so, you know, I wanted Daniel from Kindbar to speak at, at one of our dinners, um, the founder of Kindbar, and uh, he was launching he was launching a book and uh, wanted to, his PR team said, no, he'll, he'll only speak in front of 300 people. And I said, oh, I can get 300 people. My, my dinners are growing. And so we ended up turning the dinner series into a think tech crunch disrupt for consumer brands, you know, type of, so it was, it was an investing in wellness summit that we did where Daniel was one of the judges for our Shark Tank pitch challenge. We partnered with Well and Good. We we're expecting a hundred people and we ended up, you know, having 400 show up in less than, and, and, and it was, we were we, all of a sudden we had kind of turned it, turned ourselves into a conference and an ecosystem with that. So with that, as we built this, this business, we realized that there wasn't a lot of support for consumer brands in um and you know it's one thing when you you have you're a product founder you know what do you need what's the next thing that you need when you've you've you know started a started a product or or create a product you need retail distribution you need investment and then you know if you if 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 your dream is to get acquired you also need to know all the all the acquirers and so you know the goal and and the mission of founder made is to number one discover the best consumer brand and brand innovations from the smaller brands plus the bigger brands, and number two help them build. And we define build as driving commerce. So meaning you know getting sales, retail distribution, direct consumer you know distribution, and and of course um, acquisition if that's something that they want. So uh, we've created this really interesting ecosystem. We're doing a show on October 16th in Santa Monica at Barker Hangar. And that will be, we have, you know, a couple hundred plus brands all, you know, launching their innovative products that you'll see to market in, in food, wellness, and beauty. And then we have a bunch of inspirational founders, the founder of Equinox, the founder of Sprinkles Cupcake. We have the people behind, you know, the launches and the, and the, the disruption of the Kardashian brands. 
the founder of Sunbum. So it, it's a really a founder of Honest Company um, and, and a bunch of CBD, you know, brands and launches as well. That's wonderful. So, you know, when you look at uh, FounderMade and all of that you've experienced there, why do you think consumer brands are becoming so popular as, you know, high potential side hustles and maybe even more than that for aspiring entrepreneurs? I think because of the where we're at with transparent, transparency in wanting to know what's behind the brand, being able to actually give more of a voice to a consumer product and wanting to know the ingredients, wanting to go plant-based. Like there's just so many interesting consumer trends that are happening. And also just the way that we're even consuming content, media, and products has really shifted because of what we're doing with Instagram and digital. It's, it's, it's like ripe for you know, m- many new consumer brands to come up in the market and help them build. And, and I think that the consumer brands that are hitting their stride and doing really, really well are those with a very authentic mission behind them and really, you know, making it, they're taking market share from these bigger CPG companies. And, and, you know, if you look at, like, if you look at the market, you'll see, you know, companies like RX Bar or Schmidt's Deodorant or Sir Kensington's, they're segment defining consumer brands. They're actually, you know, changing the market, taking market share away from these, these CPG companies and then getting acquired by the bigger companies. So with that, do you think there's any particular product segments that have more promise than others? I mean, it's so interesting because everyone's it, there's there's so many launches in food and beauty and CBD and you know every year we see so many trends. It, it was funny because probably three years ago and and we see trends based on our trade show. So we'll see all of a sudden a wellness company will um, like three years ago we had feminine products. We had probably 10% or 10 to 20% of our exhibitors were feminine product companies like Cora and, you know, all these, all these, um, and these are organic, you know, and so we would see these trends in the market. And so I I think year over year, consumer is an interesting thing because you'll see these different types of cycles, obviously right now. And what we're doing at our show is we have a a different, when, when we see these trends, we actually create a segment like future of CBD. We have a future of CBD area on our show floor just because there's just so many CBDs. So, I mean, doing well, I, you know, I think it remains to be seen. I think really what I, and how I define doing well for a consumer brand is making a longstanding brand that's actually really changing the market and changing the way, way consumers are, are consuming, consuming it and, and relating to it. But definitely, you know, there are so many amazing innovations in beauty, in food, in wellness, and, you know, it's, it's happening all the time, which, is, which has been really fun to watch. So following up on that, you mentioned that CBD is going to be one of your kind of theme and focus segments for this October's Founder Made. What do you think is really separating the more refined, trusted, and successful brands from, frankly, maybe the gold rush of others trying to flood the market of a hot trend? I think it's education. I think that consumers now are, it's, it's a different day and age. We have so much information at our fingertips and we can sniff out a fraud and we can sniff out what is confusing. And so there are incredible, incredible CBD products out there on the market. And, the, and then there are the ones that, you know, remain to be seen. And I think there's, there's a lot of education that needs to be happening, needs to happen with it. And so a lot of like the, the best ones that I know in the industry are really making it a or making a point of educating 
their customer first. They, they know that it's confusing. They're, they know that this whole CBD trend is super, super confusing to the consumer. And everyone is kind of on the bandwagon. So how do you differentiate yourself? You differentiate, you differentiate yourself from actually educating the population and creating almost like an education platform around it. And, and you can see that with brands like Kanuka and uh, the co-founder of, of Honest Company. He's launching a brand called Prima um, that's, high, that's focused highly, highly on education uh, so you can see that with, with these, these certain CBD brands. So based on your experience at FounderMade, what do you think the common driving factors are among entrepreneurs with high growth brands? I think they are focused on number one product and, and, and just having a really, really clear differentiating story behind their brand. So an example would be, you know, RX bar, they were very, very simple with what they were providing, right? It was very like clear packaging, clear mission. They didn't do 15 different things. They didn't go into 15 different SKUs of, of powders and different things. They literally just stuck with the one thing that they were good at and just launched those different different flavors. And I think that that like in terms of when you're launching a brand to do one thing really, really well and then just drill down and then focus on sales and distribution and do it as well as you possibly can once you have the product type is is what I see. And instead of getting distracted by you know, okay, you know, let's, I see what Bulletproof Coffee is doing. Let's go into that vertical or, you know, let's launch. Like sometimes I feel like consumer founders, they do too many things at once. And if you can just drill down on that one thing that you're going to be known for and known for well, that will stand the test of time. And then you can build, you can build other things off of it, of course, but first stick to what your key differentiated product is because there's so many products in the market you know, we have retailers come to us all the time and, you know, Whole Foods comes to us and says, okay, so what, what do you think the new, new products are going to be this year? And, you know, one thing that's hard when there's so many different products on the market and you're like, okay, what, and the ones that stick out are the ones that have a very, very clear thesis. And they're very clear on what they're giving to their customer, what their mission is, who their customer is, and, and how they're serving them. So you mentioned a differentiated product there, and that's a very particular word because in the world of contract manufacturers, we have some entrepreneurs that have chosen to differentiate with a brand, but with a product that is frankly the same as many other things on the shelves. Do you think we're seeing a shift away from just fancy brands to true differentiated products again? I think we definitely are because we also are changing the way that we're eating. We're changing the way that consumers are even looking at how their nutrition and and what makes sense for their bodies. And so, you know, if you think about even like companies like Beyond Meat or these, I mean, these are not, this is not a fancy brand. This is a brand that's trying to change the world by offering plant-based um, protein. And, and, and I think there are these, these very specific types of wellness products that are offering help, trying to offer a solution to frankly, a, health epidemic of, you know, stuff that we've all been consuming and our parents taught us to eat and it's, it's all making us sick. And, and, and so I think there is this, this mission behind these, these brands that, and, and these, and these change of ingredients that aren't, it's not just repackaging and making something fancy. It's actually, you know, really creating something that's going to be healthy for the next generation and, and the generations that they're serving. So related to that, how does your venture capital background influence the advice that you share with founders of consumer and particularly CPG brands in these crowded markets? 
That's a great question. So it's interesting because I've been on both sides of the table. I've raised money for uh, my my tech company and uh, my old my, my old tech company in the past, and um, I've helped others raise money. And then I've you know been on the other side of the table, which felt very much like Shark Tank. I was like, it was very fun to to, to be on the other side of the table as an investor. You know, it's interesting. I think. I, I give the advice to founders, and maybe it's just because I'm I'm old fashioned, and I you know, but I I really give the advice of like first find product market fit with what you're doing, and then raise the capital because you know even with even with FounderMate it was so interesting because when our our first show in 2016, I, I remember and this was I again was was I, this wasn't supposed to be a business I was I was juggling two jobs and kind of did this because it was something that made my 90 year old self very, very happy. And I would do this for free. And I just loved helping you know other people build. And we had term sheets, we had some investors that came to the show, they looked at they looked at what we were doing. And they were like, you guys sold out of a, you sold out a, a trade show. And this is going to be huge. And this is your first show and you have standing room only. And this is crazy. They gave me term sheets for the trade show and wanted wanted to do a big investment. And I said, no, because I didn't even know what it was. They hadn't even figured out what product market fit was at the time. But I think that, I think that, you know, you get distracted a lot of times if you take capital on, all of a sudden you get distracted with pleasing your investors versus pleasing your customers. And the thing that I learned from bootstrapping FounderMade is we, because we didn't have the resources when we started, it was actually better for us. And we found our product market fit faster by listening to what our customers wanted. Because we started off as an investor conference where I, I had taken, because I was very, my first company was very close to TechCrunch, I had taken the TechCrunch model and I thought the buyer and the seller were investors and brands. And just like, you know, investors in tech conferences, that's the buyer and the seller. And in consumer products, it's completely different. All we After we'd survey all of our consumer exhibitors, or consumer product exhibitors at our shows, and they would, after our investing in wellness conference or investing in food conference, they would come back to us and they'd say, you know what, actually, we just want retail distribution. Find me Whole Foods. I've been trying to get to the, the East Coast buyer for years, and they just won't take my call, right? And so that helps us get to our product market fit is by focusing on the customer. And I know that if I had investors, I would have been thinking about the business a little bit differently, especially in the early stages. And of course, there are times where you you should take investors and investment in, um, and especially you know there are incredible, incredible firms like uh, VMG with Dave Barum, and and you know there 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 are those ones that are really friends with the founders that you should really you know be a part of and or, or, or you know talk to. But you know sometimes you don't need it, and it just also depends on you know what your goal is long-term for your company. If you want to keep, keep your company and you want to have this be, you know, your family legacy or your team's legacy, then maybe it's better for you not to take any capital. And it may be a law, it may be a, a little bit of a, it may not be as quick as, as what you want to scale the business, but you know, you're building long, long-term value. You're focusing on your customer and you're building something that you can be proud of. So I think there's, there's many ways to do it. There's no wrong answer. It's all part of, you know, the entrepreneurial journey as a consumer, as a consumer founder and, a, and an entrepreneur. Yeah. So you mentioned that uh, CBD is going to be one of the big focuses for this year's show. What other consumer brand trends do you think entrepreneurs and big companies should be aware of heading into 2020? That is a great, great question. So certain brand trends, look, look out for men's grooming. We have some really awesome men's grooming uh, companies like Caldera Lab and Rugged, rugged and dapper. We have a bunch of different ones. Pop and Barkley at our at our next show. 
Uh, other trend is biohacking. So you can, you know, look up brands like Awakened Alchemy, Upgrade Labs, Elements Drink. Um, and then, you know, there's the influencer-founded types of brands as well, which are super, super interesting. So there's, you know, Pia Mia is launching um, a brand with um, the co-founder of Sunbum at our show. Uh, but these, these influencer-founded, I mean, these, this is like a huge, huge, you know, growth and marketing opportunity to just take a look at in terms of trends and how they're doing it. Um, and then there's ingredients like, you know, there's the Manuka honey trend, Moringa, um, you know, there's Aronia berry, berry and, and, you know, then there's, you know, obviously like there's a ton happening in kids and wellness. Uh, so that and, and functional beverages. So there's, a, I mean, there's trends galore on, on, uh, in, you know, happening in the consumer space. I think that's, that's the thing that's really exciting, but also can be consuming, I mean, be a bit con confusing to the consumer. Yeah. So related to that, then, you know, direct to consumer has been one of those trends that has really dominated over the last few years, particularly for the change it's had on retail. What do you think is going to happen over the next five years when you look at the landscape of retail from direct to consumer to traditional retail to even things like Amazon? It's a very, very interesting, uh, it's an interesting climate in retail and it's an interesting change in consumer behavior, right? Where you're seeing malls go out of business. You're seeing, I mean, even, you know, we have offices in Soho on Broadway and Prince and you see, you know, some of the best real estate in the world is 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 in manhattan in new york and it's it's a little scary to see that storefronts are are not doing it there's a lot of empty you know retail spaces in, in in our area so you know i think you know direct consumer of course is an incredible business model i think you'll always need to have that in person i think that you know i think everyone was so so bullish on the direct consumer model, you know, a couple years back, and and you'd see that with like Bonobos, and then Bonobos would go into a concept shop, and but at the end of the day, like there are going to be those main those brands that like the Warby Parkers or Apple Store that, that you'll need to go in, you'll need to go into, and and their retail won't be dead; it'll just be consolidated in a way where it'll be more efficient for the end user. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So, you know, many big companies, particularly in CPG, are becoming involved with the innovation uh, ecosystem through incubators and accelerators and corporate venture capital and even, you know, even merger and acquisitions. What advice do you give to the entrepreneurs as they engage with these larger brands? It's super interesting because we, you know, and we love obviously working with like the the M and A M and A people at uh, you know Estee and all the the bigger beauty companies and and you know there's all these incubator obviously there's the VC arms 
it's interesting because, you know, I do know that, and this is like, this is a conversation that I have with a lot of consumer entrepreneurs who are like, well, we don't want to talk to Pepsi just yet. You know, we're worried that they're going to, you know, under, know our, or find out how we're, do our secret sauce and find out and, and then copy us. But I don't, I don't think it's, it's, I think it's okay. And I think it's actually great for them to early on establish relationships with venture funds and with these acquisition, you know, with the heads of M&A at, at these bigger firms, because it is a relationship business and it's great to be on their radar and it's great to understand what winning looks like to them and, and what, you know, what they're looking for. And, and I've seen this actually happen with a, with a few of my, my, uh, our friends and entrepreneurs, which they ended up taking a ton of these different meetings for years. They meet with Walmart, they meet with, and they, they just have these like friendly conversations. They check in, they, you know, understand that each talk about each other's businesses. Some, some people like, you know, maybe, maybe some, some of the bigger acquirers tried to copy them, but at the end of the day, they ended up getting acquired because they had had those relationships. They were on the forefront and they were keeping, you know, their, these people updated on where they were at with the business and, um, and it ended up becoming like an actual, you know, real relationship where it was fruitful for both sides. So I, I think it, I think it's there's no harm in taking meetings, and there's no harm in in you know understanding what other firms, other VC firms, and and what these bigger companies are doing. And it's good for the entrepreneur on their end to information gather, just like the the bigger acquirer is as well. A thing I love these days is a lot of entrepreneurs are starting businesses as side hustles while they've got the day job and they're launching something on the nights and weekends. When do you think an entrepreneur knows it's time to jump all in? When do you give them that push to, to make it not just a side hustle, but their thing? It's really interesting because I did both. So my first business, I raised money and jumped in full, full force. And I, it was my first, you know, we had a digital media platform. We had an angel from Sequoia who invested and, you know, that was my full-time job. I quit, quit my job in finance and just went straight into being an entrepreneur. And we didn't, we hadn't been very clear about our business model. It was still the time of before influencers where digital media and was the last thing that people were actually paying, paying for. And so we, we still, you know, we had a little bit of a, we kind of knew what the business model was, but we hadn't, we didn't really know. Um, there wasn't any, there wasn't any history, historical data to even prove what, what the business was going to turn into. And, you know, that for me, I, we did that, you know, we did well on it and we ended up selling it, but I, but it was very hard. It was a very challenging uh, thing to jump into. And so I didn't, when, when, when I started founder made, I actually, didn't want to go back into startups. I, I had was juggling two jobs. I was working in a venture capital firm, and then I was consulting for a couple of startups. And I refused <laughs> to. I really refused to. I had my side hustle, and my side hustle was founder made. And I just thought it was like my thing that I was going to do that made me happy. And when I was, you know, look back on my life, this was like times of meeting, and and didn't think it was a business. And I literally for two years would just continue to work the two jobs. I would, you know, sell sell exhibitor space and booths, you know, in the in the elevator banks of my uh, of my office uh, office building, and you know, just be basically trying to do this and kind of doing this as a side hustle. Um, and I did, and it was really hard for me to actually quit the job, the two jobs, until and really like actually look back and be like, oh wow, we actually 
um, this is a business and this is a relevant business and we do have paying customers and we do have repeat customers because I just didn't think that something like this that I love so much that could be fun, God forbid fun, um, was going to be a business. And so, you know, I think I, I am of the mindset that that I, I am, and I actually love the fact that I juggled two jobs while I was building, building this business. I think it's okay to have a side, have it be a side hustle until you, you get very clear data that it it can turn into the business, into a business. So when we started, when I looked back on, you know, the year that I was juggling two jobs and we had made a couple hundred thousand dollars in revenue, I was like, oh, this is, this could potentially be a business. I didn't even think that trade shows or events could, could be a business. And then quickly found out that, you know, it was, it, it was, and, and I think there's also little times and, or there's times and markers in your journey as an entrepreneur that give you, I always think it's like the universe or something kind of giving you the, the push that is like, Hey, this is a business. This is like, all these things are kind of pushing you towards, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And so there's just like these little things where, you know, we didn't have an office for, for, you know, a year or two while I was juggling those two jobs. And then we found, you know, office space that was half the price in Soho. Right. Like, and so these, these like little push pushes of, you know, help and, and guides guidance that this thing was supposed to be a business step by step brick by brick. You know, I love that focus on side hustles because you've lived it personally yourself. And, you know, some of the best companies in the world have come out of those hobbies and side hustles, if you will. So you had uh, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs were doing the homebrew computer club back in the early days. You had some of the best craft breweries in the world came from people making beer at home on the weekends and then turning it into a business. Are there any entrepreneurial stories of that you've had from Founder Bay that are personally close to your heart? I mean, it's, it's so interesting. We have some amazing, amazing founders that join us at every show. And, and probably in, two, in 2017, we worked with a brand. It was a plant-based ice cream called Cocos, K-O-K-U-S. And she was doing it as a side hustle. It's this really interesting plant-based ice cream that, that I, if you've had it, you wouldn't even know it was plant-based. It's incredible. And she was doing it as a side hustle. Then she, you know, tried to, she tried to start it, you know, again, like this is, I, I love the fact that, you know, female founded and, and, you know, didn't, she was looking for, you know, different types of business partners, had some people come into the business and, and they weren't fully aligned with, you know, what her mission was. And, but she continued to go and, and build the path. And she now is like number two selling ice cream in Whole Foods. And, you know, it's been only two years. And I mean, I think she'll be, she's going to be like the next Halo Top. They're changing the name, but it's, it's one of those things where, you know, she had, had, was struggling a couple of jobs. She was doing this, you know, kind of as a, as a side thing. And then, you know, it just took off. And I, I think, you know, following your passion, following your truth, and, and doing something that, you know, you know, the world needs to see is, is, you know, why these, some of these entrepreneurs, you know, get to the scale that they, they get to. That's perfect. Well, Megan, it's been such a pleasure sitting down, learning more about your own personal journey with FounderMade. And thank you for putting together such a great show to uh, highlight some of the amazing consumer entrepreneurs that we have out there in the world. Well, thank you, Dave. I, I love your mission and, and I love the platform that you're building. It's pretty, it's, spectacular. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.